0: All right, today we wrap up our, uh, our short series on the Lord's Prayer uh, by taking a closer look at the final petition that Jesus teaches us to pray, which is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So let me read the whole passage for us, and then we'll, uh, we'll jump into this thing. Matthew 6, Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. So I saw a t-shirt once uh, when I lived in Chicago. I guess people out here don't wear this t-shirt, but it said, all it said was, always lead and never follow. Okay, always lead, never follow. Now, not only is that terrible advice on absolutely every level, but it's actually impossible to live that way. Everyone follows somebody, don't they? Everyone is influenced and guided and shaped by other people And outside forces. We're constantly being led by family, by friends, by our culture. What we watch and read is forming us. It's leading us in a certain way. It's literally impossible to never follow. In fact, we shouldn't want to if we could. Uh, We were created to be followers. We were designed that way. Even as leaders, especially as leaders, uh, we actually want to and need to be led ourselves. There are a 1,001 books on how to be a good leader. There are far fewer books on how to be a good follower, aren't there? I mean, 12 Irrefutable Laws of Followership just doesn't have the same ring. Uh, It doesn't sell. And yet, who and how you follow, I would argue, is actually far more important than who and how you lead. In the Old Testament, during the darkest days in Israel's history, the refrain was in that day there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes and that was not a celebration of independence that was not a declaration of autonomy that was a judgment right that that was a criticism we were not designed to live that way here's a the question then who do you follow who is your leader the question is not whether you're a follower or not. You are. The question is whether you are following on purpose or following on accident. Whether you're being intentional and wise and thoughtful with who you let lead you or you're, the, or you're sort of wandering down the path of least resistance in this world, following the latest life strategy, the loudest voice in the news cycle, or maybe the all-powerful uh, Google and Facebook algorithm, right? Who, who are you letting lead you? Who are you following on purpose? Jesus' first words to his disciples in the Bible were simple and direct. He showed up and he said, follow me, follow me. And in our passage today, as Jesus teaches us to pray, as he trains our hearts and our minds and our entire lives to go deeper into the relationship that God started with us, to to extend the conversation that God initiated with us, as Jesus guides us up into the heart of God through prayer, the final request Jesus teaches us to pray is for God to lead us. Lead us, not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus is urging us to look to God to lead our lives, to follow him wherever he calls, to let him shape the trajectory and the direction of our lives. So here's the question that I sort of got, uh, caught my attention and, my, and fired my imagination as I was preparing for this sermon and thinking about this passage. Um, this question came into my head, and I just thought it was weird enough to follow the trail and see where it goes. What kind of leader is God? Like, Like, if you were to describe his leadership style, how would you say God leads? It might sound like a weird question, but try to answer it. What makes him worth following? What makes Jesus effective in leadership? If you're willing to choose on purpose instead of on accident who you follow, why would you choose to follow Jesus over anybody else? I mean, Jesus has been followed by billions of people throughout history. So on any metric, he is one of the most dynamic leaders of all time. But why exactly? What makes him worth following? What's his leadership secret? Different leaders are effective and worth following for a lot of different reasons. Uh, Some people lead from the sheer strength of their personality. You know these people? They just show up in a room. They have gravitas. They have an aura. Everybody knows they're there. They have like bold kind of risk-taking initiatives, and people follow by the sheer strength of their personality. Others, I've noticed, though, can lead out of a lot of other kinds of strengths. Some people lead out of what I guess I'd call networking, right? They they're, are, are political in the best sense of the word. They have this knack for putting the right people in the, at the right time behind the right cause, and they build teams that are highly effective at achieving what they're trying to do. They are not the biggest personality in the room, but they make it happen. Uh, others might lead out of just competence right just like being so good at what they do and having such a great track record that if they launch something other people are like well sure I'm on board with that of course it's gonna work and they lead out of their competence and, and still others lead by wisdom right the, the sheer weight of life's experiences and their humble commitment to always learn always grow make them highly effective Leaders, these are the folks that you sit in a meeting with and they don't say anything the whole time, right? They just kind of quietly take it all in, process, hear, listen, and then when they finally choose to open their mouths, everybody else gets quiet um, and listen to what they say, not because they demand to be followed, not because they're like, I get the last word kind of people, but simply because the advice they offer is so good that others just fall in line. They lead out of wisdom and experience. There are a dozen other things that can make for effective leadership. What's the thing that makes Jesus the greatest leader in history? Kind of a weird question, but kind of fascinating caught my imagination this week. Of course, when we're talking about Jesus, this is a little bit like playing a video game with a cheat code, right? I mean, uh, he is the son of God and the prince of heaven. So, of course, he's dynamic. And of course, he's engaging. His teaching is compelling. He knows everyone better than they know themselves. So, when he's gathering a team, he knows exactly who to invite and why. He doesn't just have wisdom. He is wisdom. He's the source of wisdom. Oh, and he knows the future because he wrote the future, so he's pretty good at casting vision for your life, okay? So in some ways, he's got everything you need. But despite all this, I want to suggest that there is a characteristic underneath everything else that makes Jesus the greatest leader of all time, and I want to suggest that Jesus is a generous leader, all right? Here's what I mean. In his very nature, in his deepest heart, Jesus is a giver, not a taker. He is other-obsessed, not self-obsessed, all the way to the core of his being. And that generosity flows out of him in servant leadership, and it's the most compelling possible thing to follow in the world. Jesus wins amazing victories, and he achieves incredible results. He's the most successful human being ever in every way that really matters. And when he lives a perfect life from birth to death, and then even through death into new resurrection life, he just gives away the infinite value of what he's achieved He to anyone. To anyone for free. He doesn't sell it. He doesn't demand anything in return. He doesn't make you earn it. He's generous to his core. And this generosity, this grace, this servant leadership makes him the most compelling leader of all time. It turns out that there is at least one bestseller in the How to Be a Good Follower category. Uh, you may have heard of it. It's called The Psalms. You can find it right in the middle of your Bible. It's a book about God's leadership and our followership. Let me read just a few verses from it. The psalmist writes, lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Another one, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling. Psalm 61, from the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Psalm 68, God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. Psalm 119, lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. God is leading his people. God is leading you. If you're a Christian, you're, you're a follower. That's your defining characteristic. You're a follower of Christ and he's leading you out of an overflow of his generous, giving heart. Each of those verses is a prayer to, for God to lead us into something that he already owns, his righteousness, his truth, his holy hill, his prote- protection, his deliverance, his righteousness. And then the most famous of all, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, doesn't he? He restores my soul He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In the closing line of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is channeling all of these prayers from God's people throughout history, all these psalms about followership, and all these promises from God himself. And he teaches us to ask God to lead us out of his generosity, out of his grace. This is an extraordinary kind of leadership. He is an extraordinary leader that we're following. The prayer is, Jesus, lead us out of the overflow of your absolute love and grace. Father, lead us from the endless resources of your fatherly care. And specifically, Jesus teaches us to ask for two things. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. How are these both in overflow Of the generosity of God's heart. What does it mean for God to lead us not into temptation? This uh, is actually the line from the prayer that was in the news recently. Did you know the Lord's Prayer is still making the news? Hot, breaking news, hot off the press. Um, We're not there quite yet, hang tight. Uh, So Pope Francis recently said that we should no longer pray, lead us not into temptation, because it's kind of confusing, but that we should actually pray, do not let us fall into temptation. Um, And I guess when you're the Pope, you can do that kind of thing, right? You can, it's his prerogative, he can do what he he wants to do. Um, And it actually does help clarify that God is not the author of temptation, which is also very clear in the Bible, right? In James 1, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. So God doesn't tempt us. But if we still want to keep that lead us language in the prayer for all the reasons we just talked about, what does it mean when we ask God not to lead us into something he's promised he'll never do anyway? What kind of prayer is that? Fair question. And to get at the answer, I think it's helpful for us to keep in mind the difference between temptation and testing in the Bible. God never tempts us to sin, but he constantly tests us to grow our trust, to grow our character, to develop us into the people he created us to be. So in Hebrews 12, we read about his fatherly care. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God's treating you as his child. When he brings you through tests, you're being treated as a child. And at the very same moment, God promises not to overrun us with His discipline, not to to break us with the tests He puts us through. Uh, We read this No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man, but God is faithful. And He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you might be able to endure it. So when we hold up these two things, temptation, And testing. I think the real power of this prayer comes when we recognize that our world is filled with trouble, isn't it? It's filled with struggle. It's filled with uh, fear and anxiety and sin and hurt. I mean, we are hurt by people in this world and we hurt people in this world. We're not innocent bystanders in this rebellion against God's love, we're active participants. There is danger everywhere, and there's temptation everywhere. We live in a minefield. There's temptation to avoid the challenges of this world by avoiding difficult people or difficult callings. There's a temptation to sort of do the opposite and win all the fights we encounter instead of trying to win the souls that we encounter. There's a temptation to follow the lead of our own intuition, our own heart, our own true self over the clear word of Scripture when we're looking for happiness in our lives. In a broken world, temptation is everywhere. And yet, we serve and follow and worship a God who still controls everything. Even in the midst of the rebellion, he reigns, he loves, he orchestrates, and he guides your life. He's watching over his children. He loves you deeply. So the faith Required to pray this line of the Lord's Prayer is this. Do you believe that God can take those difficult, hurtful, icky, frustrating experiences in life and use them for good instead of evil? Do you believe that he can walk you through this minefield and keep you from temptation but use all these things as tests for your good? Do you believe he can lead you to circumstances that would otherwise only be temptation to sin, but instead he can use them as tests that mature you and refine you, tests that grow you deeper in love and deeper in trust to him? When a goldsmith digs the ore out from the ground, what does he do? He puts it through fire, right? And that fire does two things. It reveals the gold, that, what the gold really is, but it also purifies it at the same time. It reveals what it is, and then it makes it the thing that it can be. It, it, it creates it, it makes it pure and perfect and undiluted. And First Peter tells us, expect this, okay? Beloved, beloved, he loves you. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes up upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. He goes on to explain, this is God at work. This is God at work in your life. So imagine the freedom you would have if you could put every trial, every difficulty, every frustration, challenge, hurt in your life into this framework, into this prayer. In fact, I'd invite you to do it right now. Think of one area in your life that is currently difficult. A relationship, a circumstance, an anxiety, a fear. Something that could easily become a temptation to despair or a temptation to shame or a temptation to more patterns of sin in your life. Okay, you have it in your mind? One situation, one thing. Now, pray this prayer that Jesus is teaching us to pray for that thing. Our father in heaven, our leader, our king, treat us like your sons and daughters as we encounter trial and difficulty in this world. We are weak and will melt under the pressure, but you can lead us through the test instead of into temptation. You can actually turn the trial into a gift, making us stronger, more fruitful, more faithful, and more needy of you. You are incredibly generous to us, And you even use hardship as a gift to grow us closer to you. Please lead us this way today. Help us trust you in the hardest times. Trust that you're working all things for our good. Trust that you're going to finish what you started in us. Trust that we will not be broken beyond repair, but will one day shine like pure, whole, complete people, your children, as you designed us to be reflecting your image perfectly. Jesus, we will follow you into any circumstance and through any trial because we trust you're not only strong enough, but generous enough to guide us through with grace and purpose. We entrust our future to you. Amen. Imagine every circumstance put into that framework. That's a powerful prayer because we have a generous leader guiding us through life. Lead us not into temptation, and lastly, deliver us from evil. Jesus teaches us to pray not only for our own personal temptation, to give in to the difficulties of the world, not just a prayer for the evil inside us, but specifically a prayer for the evil outside of us, too. Evil is pervasive in our world. We know this, we read the news, we hear the stories, and we think, how and why do these things happen? But the Bible tells us evil is also personal. It's pervasive and it's personal. He has a name, all right? First Peter again, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I mean, that verse will wake you up in the morning, okay? That is a harrowing verse in the Bible. It tells us not only that we have an enemy. He is real. He is evil. He's out for blood. He has a name. His goal is to destroy all the good things God has built and primarily his people, his family, his church. Uh, Even more, you cannot fight this enemy alone, all right? This is, this is not one you can go out and take down. Um, he has been at this war far longer than you have. Uh, he's smarter than you, sorry, and he's more crafty and more powerful than you, okay? You do not, do not walk onto the field one-on-one with this guy. This sounds bleak until we remember that we are not alone, and we have a champion. We have a hero, we have a leader that walks into the field on our behalf to protect and guard us and deliver us. And our guy, our champion, Jesus Christ, is even smarter than Satan, right? He's more powerful than Satan. He's actually been at this longer than him. Jesus even created him. He owns him. And he only gives him enough rope to eventually hang himself in the end. So if you're gonna pick a side on this one, I'm begging you, go with Jesus, okay? That's, that's where the good, smart money is. On the cross... Jesus forgave our debts, but he also defeated our greatest enemies. He won our freedom and guaranteed our victory by disarming death and sin and evil. Jesus wins. Um, And yet, we constantly forget this, don't we? C.S. Lewis famously said there are two errors you can make when you're thinking about the devil, or two errors you can make about Satan in general. The first is you can overemphasize him and live in unnecessary fear of him. Right? Um, or the second one is the opposite. You can underemphasize him. You can forget about him for days at a time. You can live as if First Peter five eight is not even in your Bible. As if when you wake up in the morning, there is not a spiritual lion staring you in the face, trying to devour the good things that God is doing. I don't know about you, but I'm the second one. Right? I can go days at a time without thinking about Satan months at a time, maybe. Um, It's not good. I'm a pastor. So this prayer from Jesus is key for me, okay? This is helpful for me. Every week we gather and we say this prayer together, it's a reminder this is real. This is happening. And anyone else who forgets where the battle really is, the main thing I need in life, this is what the prayer teaches me, the main thing I need in life, it's not more stuff. The main thing I need in life, it's not better trips and experiences, it's not the perfect soulmate, it's not beautiful, smart, healthy, successful kids, that, all that would be great. But the main thing I need is a hero. The main thing I need is a champion to step in on my behalf, a leader who is so generous with his love that he guides and protects me even when I forget he's doing it. He is backing me all the way. I need a savior And so this prayer, it teaches us to pray. Jesus, deliver us from the evil one and all the evil he spews out into the world. Be our protector, our champion, our king. Fight for us, defend us, save us from the enemies we can't even see and sometimes forget are there. You're gonna do this anyway, God. But by praying this prayer, we give you the glory you deserve and we're reminded of the grace that we've received every single day from you. Jesus is worth following everywhere he he leads you, into difficulty, into trial, into harm. He is wise, he's powerful, he's kind, he's brilliant, but most of all, he is deeply, deeply generous. He is gracious to you. All the way down, he thinks of you and pours out his gifts from heaven for you. This whole prayer is an outpouring of his generosity to us. So as we close and close this series, would you pray this prayer with me again? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts